0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. This is your news for Tuesday, October 12th. Sagebrush Empire is a new book from Western writer Jonathan Thompson. It details the fight over public lands in southeastern Utah. KZMU's Justin Higginbottom spoke with the author about the roots of this conflict over land and what to expect after a restoration of Bears Ears National Monument.
1: Thompson has a long history of traveling the high deserts of San Juan County. He grew up nearby in Durango, Colorado, and began hitting the trails pretty much from birth.
2: After I was born, my parents started taking me camping over there in Comb Wash and Arch Canyon and those sorts of places pretty much before I could remember, before I could walk probably. Like that was my go-to place, you know, for the desert. Pretty much still is.
1: Later, as a journalist, he covered the region, its history of racism, land disputes, and culture clashes between the Native community and their white neighbors. In his new book, Sagebrush Empire, he details the long-simmering conflict over land, and he begins with an illustrative case known as Gategate.
2: So Gategate was this kind of incident that happened in 2017. It was a heated time in San Juan County.
1: Just a few months earlier, Barack Obama had created Bears Ears National Monument after a pretty bitter debate. Soon after Donald Trump was sworn in, it was understood that that monument would likely uh, be reduced.
2: But basically some retirees from Durango, they went camping over in Valley of the Gods, which at the time was in Bears Ears National Monument. And one of them, Rose Chilcote, um, was a pretty active environmentalist with the great old broads for wilderness. The great old broads have been very active in San Juan County, trying to kind of curb public lands grazing, trying to deal with ATVs in the backcountry, that sort of thing. And a lot of people didn't like Rose in San Juan County. So they went over there. Her husband, Mark Franklin, closed a gate on a corral for reasons that aren't t- totally clear. Basically, he just did it. But Uh, He closed a gate on a corral. They didn't think anything of it. They left and a few days later, they were driving back past that corral and these cowboys came and ran out and sort of stopped them from going further down the road and called the sheriff. And they were accused of trying to kill the cattle by closing the gate and cutting off access to the cattle's water. Eventually they were charged with felonies. They could have gone to prison and the legal saga actually continues to drag on. And kind of no matter how you look at it, The severity of the charges were a form of political retribution against Rose Chilcote and her activism.
1: It was just one skirmish in what's been referred to as the Sagebrush Rebellion. It's a fight for control over land that goes back over 100 years and has many iterations and battles. The intensity ebbs and flows. Thompson says cattle ranchers and those fighting for more local control were emboldened after Trump's win. But it's unclear where that energy will go under Biden.
2: I mean, it's really interesting because when Biden got elected, then he comes in and says he's going to do all these things like uh, restore the national monuments. And and so far, we haven't seen the kind of backlash that we saw from Obama. And the reasons for that, you know, I, I honestly don't know what it is like. Certainly there's opposition to it. There's some backlash, but it's not as bitter or as angry as it was before
1: Although that's so far, the restoration of Bears Ears National Monument could be a new flashpoint. And Thompson has seen a growth in activism on the other side of the fight, those looking to expand federal protection, especially from the Native community.
2: The Indigenous movement has blossomed in the last, really, five, six years. I mean, it it was there. I mean, it's been there since the the American Indian movement, really, in the 70s. Um, But it certainly was revived. You had Standing Rock, you had Bears Ears, you had all these kind of things going on where indigenous activists were taking the lead and the mainstream environmental groups were kind of following along.
1: You can pick up Sagebrush Empire at your local bookstore. Thompson also has a newsletter covering public lands called The Land Desk. Justin Higginbottom for KZMU News.
0: The Cameron Peak Wildfire burned over 200,000 acres in northern Colorado last year. It was the biggest wildfire in the state's history. It's going to take years, if not decades, for the burn scar to fully recover. Ashy soil and charred trees are all that's left in many areas of what is a critical watershed for front-range communities. But there are spots that were largely spared because of some animals that make their home near the Poudre River. KUNC's Alex Hager has more.
3: Emily Fairfax and I are trudging across a field of knee-high grass. We're about an hour's drive into the Poudre Canyon, surrounded by scorched and charred hillsides from last year's fire. But underfoot, it's the kind of golden-green meadow that swishes around your legs with each step.
4: So this is pretty active beaver landscape. You are in marshy terrain. Uh, so even though it feels solid right now, at any point you could step into water, so just don't be alarmed if you do.
3: And at a few points, the only way around some of that water is through. How secure is the footing on the other side?
4: Not. <laughs> not secure would be the correct assessment of that. But we're still We
3: need up. to be extra careful because this swampy landscape has been sculpted by beavers. Fairfax is an ecohydrologist who studies the creatures, and she's navigating these narrow channels snaking through the wetland. And there are a ton of them.
4: Oh my gosh, I can't even count them. It's a lot. Um, there's at least uh, about 10 ponds up here that are large enough to see in satellite images. And then between all those ponds is just an absolute spiderweb of canals, many of which are too small for me to see until I'm here on the ground.
3: Beavers create these wetlands by damming up a stream, then they build out a network of channels. Because they fundamentally change the flow of the water, a lot more of it stays in one place. And in this case, it makes a little patch of land that's partially fire-resistant. That's why right here, we're in the middle of a lush, soggy meadow. But just a stone's throw away, you can see how close the Cameron Peak fire came to this area.
4: When you're at this beaver complex, it never stops being green. And everything else in the landscape, the hill slopes on either side, they both charred. They lost all their vegetation during this fire. Um, But this spot, it did not. These plants were here last year and they're still here today.
3: About 100 feet past this spot, the burned trees still have some of their needles. Another 100 feet past that, they're just blackened toothpicks. It shows just how effectively the wet ground held back the fire. Beavers are crepuscular animals, meaning they're only active at dawn and dusk. So we didn't see any on this visit. But once it gets dark, they'll be back to work on this landscape, which also serves as a kind of reservoir. It's mimicking this critical function that used to be pervasive in these riverscapes. Joe Wheaton studies the flow and formation of rivers at Utah State University. And is a similar function to what snowpack does of of inefficient movement of water. That leads to healthier riverscapes. Just like snow, beaver wetlands hold water for gradual release, slowing it down on its way to the places where we humans divert and collect it. And that's likely to get more important. Climate change means warmer temperatures and less snow, making high mountain water storage even more valuable. And the wetland storage system can be bigger than it looks, since more than 80% of their water is actually underground. But in the grand scheme of things, Wheaton says it's just not that much water beaver are not going to be the miracle answer you're not going to create you know more more water where it's the most effective is on a small scale like when a rancher gets water a bit longer into the season during a drought year and emily fairfax says that is not lost on humans who have tried to reap the benefits of beaver wetlands by creating their own
4: we have tried building what are called beaver dam analogs, which are essentially fake beaver dams, we build them. There have been a number of different designs where we try to recreate all these great things that beavers are doing.
3: Ultimately though, they just aren't as effective as the real thing.
4: The beaver complex in the beaver wetland is so much more than the dam. It's the channels, it's the digging, it's the chewing, it's the constantly you know, changing the landscape, the dynamics, the flexibility.
3: Fairfax did see a complex serve as a fire break one time here in Colorado, but she said it'll take far more research before we can figure out just how effective they are when it comes to slowing down wildfires on a larger scale. But for now, these areas are surviving as oases of green in the middle of big fires across the West. Alex Hager, KUNC.
0: And that's the KZMU News for Tuesday, October 12th. Get your community-powered journalism Monday through Friday at noon and 7. You can also find KZMU News anytime online at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts.